Howdy folks, this is Dan Gross and welcome to Extended Harmony for Outside In Music. Outside In Music is a record label and a media company that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website, outsideinmusic.com, where you can see our artists, the recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Extended Harmony, what you're listening to right now, is a monthly podcast that features musicians in the jazz, blues, and soul umbrella who create original music. We discuss their lives, influences, creative process, current and upcoming projects, and some advice they'd like to pass along. Joining us today is composer, arranger, band leader, educator, and saxophonist Owen Broder. Originally from Detroit, Broder is an accomplished player, collaborating project leader from the Eastman School of Music. I, I know we're doing a lot, bear with me. He's released two albums with Cowboys and Frenchmen, one of us with us, Bluer Than You Think, and he is the first person to be selected for Eastman and Artist Share's collaborative effort, and the result is this incredible album we're talking about today, Heritage, the American Roots Project. Thanks so much for tuning in, and please enjoy this episode of Extended Harmony. Owen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. My pleasure. Uh, this is a continuing series of Eastman students doing cool things. Uh, we've had Alexa Tarantino on. We've had Katie Ernst. So we're, we're very happy that you're doing great things and you can join us as well. Uh, you are from Detroit, yes? Uh, I actually I was I was born there, uh, <laughs> but I I, I consider uh, my hometown more to be Jacksonville, Florida. I spent most of my life growing up there got it can you tell us a little bit about um your early life and music like when did you start taking lessons and some of your early influences as well yeah um i i actually I, my first instrument was piano i started mm -hmm. taking piano lessons when i was four and still living in detroit um and i took piano lessons uh for probably 15 years whoa um <laughs> yeah yeah so there's there's a lot of piano history there um but I, that was always kind of a solo thing. And by the time yeah, I'm an only child. And so by the time I got to like fourth grade or whatever, I wanted to play music with people. So I joined mm. the band and, and, um, you know, I, because piano is not really a part of that scene. I picked <laughs> up the clarinet. <laughs> right. Um, and over the course of a couple years of lessons, I, developed an interest in jazz and mm. wanted to start getting into that and because it you know that level clarinet isn't really a uh, a part of like the, the traditional jazz the traditional high school or middle school jazz bands right unless uh, you're rocking some benny goodman or new orleans charts there there's not too much of a need right exactly <laughs> so so my teacher and a few few mentors pointed me in the direction of the saxophone and yeah uh, so by sixth grade i was playing the saxophone and for a few years, kind of tried to balance the three and, and at a certain point had to kind of pick a focus and landed on the saxophone. Got it. And you mentioned uh, early on you were developing the interest in jazz. What, what sparked your interest? Is it just because that was there and you were playing it and it was fun? I mean, was there anything in particular that drew you in? Um, I don't I don't really. Well, I guess uh, when I was first taking lessons, I remember my first uh, saxophone and clarinet teacher um, was a guy named Ben Harrod, and he was a he was a saxophone player studying at the University of North Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the books that he had me working out of were these like George Gershwin hmm. um, kind of song books that had right. these written solos. Um, and I I just remember having fun with those, and 
he, because he had a jazz background, he was um, teaching me to just dip my toe into the improv- improvising side of that and, yeah. and kind of embellish what was already on the page. Um, and then I went to uh, a, a middle school of the performing arts, which had a, a really strong jazz program, and in particular, two really phenomenal jazz educators. Mm. Um, and so they really uh, kind of opened opened my eyes to that world. And then I went on to another uh, school of the arts for high school, which had a really great jazz program. Um, and and so just being around, it, out of both the middle school and, and high school, there were, there were a lot of great jazz musicians that came out of those programs, including Jameson Ross, Bob oh. Reynolds, um, wow. Theo Croker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some, some really, really great players. And, and that was kind of a community that I grew up in. Um, right. another, another guy that came out of that program is Alfonso Horn, who's a part of the Heritage Project that we'll talk about. Right. Um, it sounds like it's a and, really, yeah, excuse, excuse me, but it sounds like it's a really nice uh, balance of being able to say, oh, hey, you know, I mean, not that um, a lot of people have great teachers, but it's it's rare that uh, someone has a lot of great teachers and has a lot of people to play along with and the school has a great history of jazz musicians that must have been a really good time for you to sort of just play around and and discovered what you like and being able to push yourself playing with other great musicians absolutely and and you know all of those guys that i mentioned were at least a couple years older Mm -hmm. um but you know at least a few of them had overlap with me in school and and so they were really people that I could look up to and play with. Right. Um, which I think was important because they were already, uh, you know, they were already people who I looked to as people who I wanted to uh, kind of follow in their footsteps. Right. And, and I think it's at, at any point in, in your development, including, you know, in from now, I think it's important to have people who are close to your age group to, to kind of set goals in a realistic capacity, looking at people who are, not that far ahead of you and, and figuring out how they got where they are. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, having that at such a young or you know, at, at such an early point, looking at these people who are playing so playing music so wonderfully uh, that I could look up to and, and try and um, follow in their footsteps. I think that was a really important part of my personal development. Right. And, you know, uh, it, it's funny. A lot of guys kind of have that. But in college, you know, you come in, you're a freshman, you're, you're at a conservatory, and then you get to play with all the seniors. Uh, can you tell us a, a little bit about your, uh, your the next level of the music education? Uh, where are your degrees from? Yeah. So I actually, I only did two years of high school in Florida. Hmm. And then I went to a boarding school, which was another uh, school of arts. It was, um, it's now called University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Hmm. Um, and they have a, it's a college, but they have a high school boarding program. Um, and they've got a really great, uh, arts community there. Um, and in particular, when I was there, there were, there were probably five people my age that were really focused on playing jazz. Mm. Um, among those people were Eddie Barbash, who was in the stay human, uh, right. John Batiste band. Um, and so again you know just kind of seeing when i was looking at what the next steps could be that was Mm. that seemed like such a great option because there were people my age doing things that i wanted to do 
and doing it at such a high level. Um, so just again, kind of being around people doing what I wanted to do, uh, in a way that I wanted to do it. Um, and so that was, so I, I spent two years and finished high school there. Uh, and then I went to Eastman School of Music, mm-hmm. again, being thrown, thrown into a really wonderful community of, of musicians. Um, and, in, and this time, really taking a, a very different turn um, from what I was, kind of, from musically speaking, from what, what was already in my ears. Um, mm. th- you know, the, the community that I grew up in had a very different kind of uh interest i think right in, in 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 what you know what we were playing on on you know what cds we were buying what we were listening to on the radio um and when i went to eastman it was just kind of a whole different catalog of music that i was being introduced to right. um and i yeah it was just a really phenomenal experience to not only be listening to different music, but, you know, people like, there's a friend of mine, Ben Thomas, great bass player that came out of Eastman. He would put together these bands um, that, you know, probably would, he would put them together for a concert and then move on to a different project. <laughs> and I think that was a really interesting way and fun way to do things because it, you know, as for him, he got to play all this different music that he really liked and, mm for me and the other people that played with him, it gave us an opportunity to kind of get out of our comfort zone and play right. music that we didn't know about or wanted to know more about. Um, and it kind of pushed us into so many different directions mm-hmm. and, and gave us the experience to play all the, you know, a wide variety of music. And right. he's, he's not the only one that did that. Everyone was, you know, it's a, it's a small community and we all had different interests and we were all playing with each other and and you know kind of getting exposed to what we were all listening to and wanting to play right and i'm sure the weather was a nice change of pace for you too yes right (laughs) right uh you survived that that's the important part uh i think right i think uh what you said there about uh, making a different band to explore each different things i think i think it's kind of cool looking at um kind of the two main projects that you have going on right now cowboys and frenchmen and the heritage the american roots project it there's they are in a way band specific projects and you know but before we get too deep into heritage i do want to talk about cowboys and frenchmen um because i think the disparity between the name of the band and like those high glamour everyone in fashionable glance glasses photo shoots you have is is really pretty hilarious and then the music's great <laughs> I mean, like you know like you all look like these city boys with these like really fancy glasses and you look at cowboys and frenchmen what is this a western swing band but it's a uh, it's not at all uh so can you tell us about uh that's hilarious that's yeah you so know funny. when the, i i'm a dj at jazz 90.1 and when we first when we first got the first cd and we're like man what what is this and then we played it and we loved it but looking at looking at the title the 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 band name it was a big discrepancy but anyway can you tell us a little bit yeah, about yeah. Uh, cowboys and frenchmen yeah so i mean when ethan and i ethan helm and i co-lead mm-hmm. this band um and when we when we put it together we knew that we didn't want to have the kind of stereotypical band name of you know <laughs> the ethan helm and owen broder quintet or whatever right. you know the name insert name quintet or whatever right. um you know one one group that we 
grew up listening to uh, is Kneebody, on mm. another Eastman alumni band. And and we're they're just one example of a jazz or, or rather a group with you know a, a history of playing jazz mm-hmm. um that is more of a band than a jazz group you know your right. jazz quintet jet and and that's kind of how we wanted to operate because i think calling yourselves a, a quintet or a or an octet whatever the number may be <laughs> i think it's almost limiting it almost limits your audience to right. a jazz audience which interesting yeah. in today's music scene is a relatively small audience and i think if you have um a band name that's a little bit more special than that um or at least you know reflects a little bit more thought um i think not only are you expanding your audience but there's a better chance that someone's going to remember you like you said like you when you got that first cd you we're curious what the heck is this <laughs> um <laughs> you know and i think i think even if it's even if there's kind of a discrepancy between the name and what the music is or or whatever you know i think just something that hooks you right away that's right is, is something there's something to be said for that yeah and it's it's like snarky puppy is, is a great right. example of that the name yeah. just draws you in immediately right Okay, so let's let's move on to the, the Heritage Project. This is this is an amazing thing. We we we've allotted a lot of time to talk about it. So the big thing, uh, th- this project has a really interesting start. I think um, in this age where everyone's trying to do their own crowdfunding, their own releasing, or trying to get signed to a label, uh, th- this is a really interesting process. And you know, I- I'm going to broad stroke, it and then you can talk a little bit more about it in depth. But uh, you were actually the first person to be selected for this collaboration between Eastman and Artist Share, and the result was this project. And can you tell us a little bit about what Artist Share is, uh, the collaboration, and how you were selected for it? Yes. So before the collaboration happened, mm-hmm. um, I was actually already... A, um, th- this project was already on the Artist Share platform. Got it. Um and that that is in in great part due to the help and, and uh, friendship of Ryan Truesdale, mm. who's a longtime family member of uh, the Artist Share community, um, and produced this album, uh, and and wrote for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was with Artist Share, and, and they were, you know, we were already kind of putting together the, the crowdfunding campaign. Artist Share on its own is the original crowdfunding platform it's it came before kickstarter gofundme any of those this was the original crowdfunding platform mm-hmm. and unlike the other uh platforms it is exclusively for musicians hmm. and on kickstarter you can crowdfund an invention or right. or anything um but artishare is just for musicians with a with a heavy focus on jazz hmm. um and also, unlike the other platforms, it also functions as a record label. So hmm. they facilitate the the distribution um, to a certain extent, the branding, and and they really help. You know, I mean, one of the biggest, uh, I guess, components of Artist Share is that they really help shape the project into something that 
is designed to succeed. They have mm. an active role in being a part of of the development of the project and, and the designing of the project. Right. Um, you know, down to, I, I think one of the best and earliest examples of this for the Heritage Project was we were trying to figure out what the band name was going to be, and I had mm. had it in my head that it was going to be the American Roots Jazz Project. Mm. And going back to what we talked about with the with the band name for Cowboys and Frenchmen, Brian said, uh, Brian Camilio, who's the who's the man behind Artishare, founder and right. operator of Artishare, he said, actually, you should take the word jazz out of the title because it limits your audience. All of a hmm. sudden, you're going to limit yourself to a jazz audience, and that's a much smaller audience than what you would have access to without that word. Right. Um, so even, you know, he, I think that was a great piece of advice and it, it I, I feel that it has served me well. Mm-hmm. And so he's been a part of shaping the project in that way and in, in, in the details and uh, in grander uh, aspects as well throughout the whole process. Right. Um, and so now that the project is done, he, like I said, he's facilitated distribution um, both physical and digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a part of, uh, the printing process and had input on album art, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all of that. Um, and so the other, the other part of this, that's, if, if it hasn't been clear already, you know, it's a very personal relationship yeah. with Artishare, whereas, you never meet anyone that works for Kickstarter or GoFundMe. You said right. it's an online platform that you set up yourself, and it's all DIY. But with Artishare, Brian is there every step of the way and, and, and is available to help in whatever way you want or he's able. Right. So how did um, Eastman sent out you know, a, pre- a big press release about this, how it's, it's the first uh, collaboration between Eastman and Artishare. So can you, can you flesh that out for us? Yeah, so like I said, I've already, I, the project was already on Artishare, and then uh, a few months into the campaign, Eastman launched this, uh, the beginning of this collaboration that they that they mm. established, um, and what that ended up being was uh, a lot of publicity help. You know, they right. they got the word out. Uh, you know, I think one th- one important thing to clarify is that it's not a grant. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's, it doesn't function in that way. But what it does do is, you know, Eastman, I think one of the things that has been so helpful as a graduate is the incredible Eastman alumni network. Mm-hmm. Anywhere you go, uh, I happen to be in New York where there's a lot of Eastman people. Yeah. Um, but I think anywhere you go, if you meet another Eastman person, they will help you. Yeah. You know, in whatever in whatever way that they're able. It's an incredible network of people. And Eastman as the home base stays in touch with everyone. And mm. so being a part of this collaboration, they really helped get the word out about this project, you know, when they sent out those tweets or mm. Facebook posts or email blasts. I had friends from that I hadn't heard from, you know, that I went to school with. Yeah. Um, you know, they were all texting me or sending me Facebook messages saying congratulations. Um, and so it just really kind of 
got the word out, which is the most important thing. Not necessarily in the in the sense of raising money, because what twenty eight year old is in the position? You know, what twenty eight year old <laughs> who went to music school is in the position of, uh, you know, participating in crowdfunding. Right. But um, but the, you know, I think more importantly, they're showing their support and um, you know, inc- just having that kind of support from from your peers is an important thing uh and eastman that that collaboration that eastman facilitated uh really helped in that way in a major way got it and one thing we haven't talked about yet is the actual inspiration for this album one of the ongoing themes in a lot of the projects i'm doing interviewing musicians is there's less of an emphasis on what exactly whatever you're playing is. And, uh, you know, we've already mentioned this already about how when you use the word jazz or when your name, your group, the name, name, number of musicians format, you're really limiting your audience. And I think it's both uh, a technique for musicians to find new audiences, but I think it's also an acceptance among musicians. Like, it's not... Stigma is not quite the right word, but we're not as concerned about oh he's a jazz musician or he's a folk musician. You know, even though there are guys who've crossed genres and, and done all this sort of stuff forever, th- th- there's less of a sense of needing to put yourself in your own box. And w- one thing how this sort of relates is what inspired you to to do this project. You know, I mean, th- there's a number of musicians who've kind of done the cross jazz folk platform but 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 what what has inspired you to create this album well first of all i'll say that i i totally agree with you uh you know in, in the terms of the cross genre mm. um you know the way that you're looking at that no one is it's it's so rare that people are fixed on one thing now because everything right. is blending together and i think that's Mm -hmm. an amazing thing and i think it's the way forward right um because yeah i I just think it's it's more and more people are hearing and listening to different things and integrating that into their music right Uh, so i think that's absolutely true and i think it's a great thing Mm -hmm. um so for me the reason like what what kind of pushed me into this project was uh I actually with Cowboys and Frenchmen, I did this arrangement of Man of Constant Sorrow, mm. uh, which is is a part of the uh, oh brother, it's, it's a track in the right, right. Oh brother, we're at their film, and that in general just has a has an amazing soundtrack. It's just mm-hmm. a great soundtrack. Absolutely. And so I've so I did. I kind of got interested in that soundtrack and taking some of those tunes and putting into not only Cowboys and Frenchmen but some other groups that I've worked with. Um, we did arrange jazz arrangements of those tunes. So that's kind of where I got the idea of taking the Americana music and putting it in, you know, playing it with a jazz band. Right. Um, but that was all on, on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at, at, a, at one point about two years ago, uh, a family friend and who ended up being the executive producer of, of heritage, mm just kind of put the bug in my ear on if you could do, you know, what's your dream project? What, Mm -hmm. what, what would your dream project be? And I had a lot of fun taking this music from, Oh brother, where art thou? And, and, you know, exploring that, uh, blend of Americana and jazz. 
uh, it's something that I've just, that just felt natural to me. Like I enjoyed playing that music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, you know, because of the Americana history and, and where, where that, I guess when that took place, it's very melody based and that's kind right. of how I play. Um, and so it just, it was the right music for me to explore. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, there were people that I really felt like would be a great, great fit for that combination of music. And, uh, and that's kind of how the band was born and, and where I, you know, how I took my direction. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting uh, thing you said in in picking the band because it's uh, some of it is more standard than others. I mean, of course, you have piano, bass, and and, and drums. I'm looking at the uh, beautifully designed CD and case at the moment. Uh, yeah, but it's of course yourself and wanted Sarah Caswell on violin, Scott Wendholt on trumpet, and of course our glorious leader Nick Finzer on trombone uh and you also vibraphones in there and uh three vocalists as well i mean you mentioned it's melody driven and it's folk music i mean you know those two things go hand in hand um one thing i did want to talk about is looking at this composers section you know i mean you have some more uh wayfaring stranger is really the one that pops out of you know an interpretation of older uh material but the, the composers on here are really interesting. So it's yourself, Ryan Truesdale, of course, as well. And then some of the other names here are interesting, and I want to wrap up our uh, discussion on the album with this. Uh, Mio Hazama, Bill Holman. Bill Holman in particular jumped out to me. I know he's a big friend of Eastman and Bill Dobbins. Uh, Alfonso Horn and Jim McNeely. Can, can you tell us about um, their comp- why you picked these people, their compositions, and you know, what was it like working with them? Uh yeah, these, <laughs> these guys are are I mean the writers. You know yeah. these these people are the you know the composers that I uh, not you know, in some cases studied with, in some cases went to school with. Um, Alfonso grew up in Jacksonville. We went to you know, we went to middle and high school together, um, and he's just a person that I really enjoyed being around and working with. Uh, we work on a a few different things, including another album where we both. Uh, did some arranging for, mm. um, and so I, I just knew that uh, I don't because outside of Cowboys and Frenchmen, I don't have many opportunities to lead mm. a band, and uh, and so with this opportunity, I knew I wanted to work with him because uh, we work well together. Right. Um, and Miho Hazama was uh, just a couple years ahead of me at MSM, mm. and I, you know, I went through that program hearing hearing her name often, uh, and and you know, knowing that her music uh, was just really special. Uh, mm. She's got a very unique compositional voice, um, and when I, you know, I've met her a few times, and we got we got to know each other over the last couple of years, and she's just such a lovely person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because I know I have friends who play in her band, I, I know what I kind of knew that she would be able to bring a really unique approach to this, to this music. And one of the more interesting aspects of it is that she's the only non-American mm. on the record yeah. composer or performer. Huh. Um, and I, th- I think that's really, actually, that's not true. On the record, uh, Vuyo Satoshi is. Mm. Uh, from Africa, so uh, but from the composer's side, right? Um, 
she's she's the only non-american she's from japan Mm -hmm. which i think was i think that's a really i think that's a nice component to have you know on an american themed album i don't want it i I didn't want it to be exclusive you know i i didn't want to feel like someone you know everything needs to be american i value the the whole point of the record is to celebrate diversity right and so um and and the diverse backgrounds that came together to create an american cultural identity and so i think having her voice in this really enhanced the project right um so that's miho i studied with jim uh mcneely when i was at at manhattan school of music Mm -hmm. um and he's just a person and composer that i really look up to Mm -hmm. um so it was a real treat for me to work with him on this and very special to have his arrangement on the, on the record. And then Bill Holman, I, you know, we, we wanted, I was talking to Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, he produced the record and really helped in a lot of ways um, throughout the whole process. And so I was talking to him about who else we might be able to get for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, Oh, I think it was almost jokingly throughout Bill Holman because <laughs> um, he's such a, a, a heavyweight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's a big band composer. It's mm-hmm. very rare for him to do anything that's not big band. And this isn't big band. This is a small, you know, this is a relatively small group, eight musicians, mm-hmm. for, you know, without the singers, um, just an eight, eight piece band. Um, and, I guess, you know, I just send him an email kind of expecting, <laughs> oh, hoping man. for the best and playing and expecting the worst. But here, you know, here we are with his amazing arrangement on the record. Uh, so, so That's what amazing. A, it, it's really very cool that he, that he participated in this. No, no kidding. Now, ki- any kids listening, this is a very important message. J- just send the email because you never know and don't. Don't let your own insecurity get in the way. Just send the email and see what happens. Well, Owen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your yourself and the album here. There, there are a couple things we want to get you out of here on. Um, I ask this of all my interviewees, and uh, I think you've just completed this project. We've talked touched upon a lot of um, themes about diversity, how, how to brand yourself, about uh, celebrating differences, but... Uh, if there was one piece of advice you could pass along to aspiring artists, what would it be? Oh man. Uh, (laughs) I think, um, just have the courage to do what you enjoy and Mm. pursue it. That's good. Um, you know, don't, I think, I think a lot of people kind of get hung up on waiting to get a phone call to do exactly what they want to do Mm -hmm. or, you know, but just create the opportunity for yourself. Find out what you want to do and find a way to do it. That's good. All right. The last thing is one of the things that make it makes extended harmony different other than, I don't know if I make it different, but the format certainly makes it different is after the interview, we play a track from the album. Uh, Is there anything, is there any particular track you want us to play from Heritage to close out this podcast? Your favorite. Wow, that's tough. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'll have to edit this in post and we'll come up with it. Owen, thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Dan, thank you for having me.